What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast. My name is Paul Verzi, and you guys are listening to episode 445, and what an episode I have. Uh, my guest today, what can I say? Um, truly one of the first people to do everything that everybody's doing now. Um, you guys know him from the incredible show, the Tom Green Show on MTV. One of the funniest movies I've seen, <laughs> and I don't think is talked about enough. Uh, Freddie Got Fingered, the one and only and hilarious stand-up comedian, uh, the one and only Tom Green. Tom, thank you so much for doing this, man. Thanks, Paul. Man, that's amazing. Great to be here. 455 shows. That's a lot of shows. How long have you been doing this podcast? That's incredible. Yeah, 445, almost, almost, I don't know. Ten, but here's the thing, man. I didn't have my shit together at the beginning. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know. Yeah. You know, who does? Who, who, nobody has it together at the beginning. So, yeah. <laughs> um, this is so cool that you're, uh, that you're doing this show. And I know, of course, my luck. I'm like, oh, man, Tom Green's coming on the Verzi Effect. This is great. And then he does three and a half hours with the biggest podcast in history last week. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was cool, point. man. I, it was, that was a marathon, man. I was amazed. I, was, Joe Rogan's got a lot of energy, you know, it was really exciting. Yeah, no, um, it's funny because you're from Toronto and I was actually talking to uh, Bill Burr and he said, make sure you tell Tom this because we were touring together in Toronto and we went to see a Maple Leafs game. Okay, well, no, just, just let me just interject. I don't want to correct you, but I'm actually from Ottawa down the road from Toronto. So I'm actually not a Maple Leafs fan. I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. You can see actually there's their... There's the Ottawa Senators. Uh, oh, that's – you know what? I had more fun in Ottawa. We toured um, – wow, that's awesome. Oh, wow, you got all the autographs, too. That's awesome. Autographed, yeah. Um, so, about seven years ago, Burr said uh -huh. to me, do you want to travel Canada with me? And we did 22 days. Yeah. And we started in Moncton, and we ended in Victoria. I mean, we went oh, nice. yeah. coast to coast. And uh, Ottawa, nice. was, Ottawa was my – Ottawa was amazing because we just drove through and just saw like the way in New York City there's a pickup basketball game. There yeah. was just pop, like like ice where people are just like little kids skating, and right. uh, we skated that canal too. We skated. Wow! So you were there in the winter. Okay, that's that's fun. That's yeah. definitely well. If, if you're into the nostalgia of hockey and you like hockey, that's a good time to be there because the canal is the longest outdoor skating rink and the longest skating rink in the world. Okay. We're proud of that. And uh, I grew up, grew up skating on the Rideau Canal and playing hockey in those outdoor rinks. And it was amazing because as a kid, you didn't have to book ice time. You didn't have to be part of a league. I was part of a league. We didn't have to be. You could just go down to the school, walk yeah. down by your house, and uh, play for free as long as you want. And it was awesome. No, I, I really was like taken back. There was a mother and like her eight-year-old son and they were just there and we just went and I was like, this is amazing that they just pulled up, got out of their car and just started skating. I thought it was really cool. And I thought the people of Ottawa, um, the stand-up crowd reminded me of the stand-up crowd in Washington, D.C. Um, it just had that very smart. I know there's a lot of political stuff going on there. Uh, and it just seemed like very sophisticated, smart audience members. They were not just, you know, because you go someplace. I'm sure you've been to Jersey when they're drunk or you've been to some of these places. But then you, you go to a place like that and they're like into the setup and they're into where you're going with it. It just I felt that from the comedy crowd there. That's cool. I started doing stand-up when I was a teenager at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, 
uh, and uh, I uh, felt that it was a a good a good training ground for a kid. There's a lot of there was not a big comedy scene back then. There was maybe I don't know, seven or eight or maybe ten other comedians in Ottawa at the time, and we would all go perform at that Yuck Yucks Club. And uh, I was a kid. I was 16 years old, so they called me Little Tommy Green from down the street, and they kind of <laughs> put brought me under their wing and. Uh, and, and, and help me with my material, help me. We all would go have these workshops, these writer's workshops during the day. And it was a very, uh, very solid, uh, solid club. It still is. And Howard Wagman, who owns the club, still is there. And the club's still there. They moved locations, but same club. Yeah. And uh, so they're good comedy, uh, good stand-up comedy, uh, you know, history in, in Canada. And uh, we've, you know, I, I, at the time it was, uh, before they broke in the states, but it was Harlan Williams and Norm Macdonald yeah. and Jeremy Hotz were the Canadian guys that we would all go out and just sort of loved. So uh, those are all monsters you just named. Um, but what was funny was when we went to the Leafs game, the, the story really wasn't about being a Leafs fan. Here's what was hilarious: uh -huh. we were uh -huh. we were we were laughing so hard because of the cold. We walked out. We were we were drinking. We were yeah. We weren't banged up. But we were, we had a nice buzz and we were like, we were at the point where you're like, where's there a bar that's open? Yeah. And it was, I believe they said 16 below and we walked out and our jeans literally froze in place. Yeah. It got so cold that we just bursted out laughing and it was the coldest I've ever felt in my life, ever. Yeah. 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 Even being Canadian, I, I live in Los Angeles now for 20 years, so when I go home, it shocks me. And I think the longer you're away, yeah, the more sort of, uh, you know, uh, unhappy about it you are. Let's just put it that way. But I, 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 I make a point to dress like way overdressed for it now. You know, I, I wear like, uh, I always wear boots. Yeah. Because when you were a kid growing up in Canada, like you didn't care. Like you'd, you'd go out in a t-shirt and uh, sneakers and in, in, in November and, you didn't you your blood was different or something but now it's you, i just overdress hat always wear a hat you lose 90 percent of your heat from your head okay hat hat boots socks scarf <laughs> gloves you're good yeah um are you now let me ask you when you were when you were coming up when you were because i know you were doing the tom green show in canada was coming to the states always a part of what you wanted to do or was it just how it went well it's, I always say like growing up in uh, Ottawa is probably the equivalent to being a kid who wants to be a comedian growing up in, you know, Cleveland, right? Or Portland or, right. you know, it's like, you're not New York, you're not LA, you're not Chicago, you're not Toronto, you're Ottawa. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when I would turn on the TV and be inspired by things and it was David Letterman. It was Monty Python. There was also like a lot of great Canadian comedy, but really the Canadian comedy that you loved was the comedy that was now on American television. You know, you loved SCTV when you're growing up and, and Jim Carrey and Mike Myers and all the great SNL uh, Canadian comedians. So you'd be inspired by that, but they all went to New York or LA. So you would kind of in your mind, you'd dream maybe someday yeah. I could make it in, in the big city. And uh, 
the dream was was that. But it was uh, not something that you sort of immediately thought, oh, I, I'm going to go to New York and do a show in America. It really, you, you also had this other dream, which was, oh, maybe I could get to do a show in Toronto, right? And and I I I, I didn't I never really moved to Toronto. I did some things there, but I I fortunately uh, or not fortunately, but I was fortunate to to get a show anywhere really. MTV picked up the show, and I went to New York, and and that was uh, that's how it went down. That's insane, man. That must have been. You know who else is Canadian? Who I think is one of the funniest comedic actors ever is um, Leslie Nielsen. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh my God, dude, that's one of my yeah. Naked Gun to this day is one of the funniest movies still ever that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, and the Police Squad show that he did before, which was based off Naked Gun spun off, I guess. But yeah, no, I mean, it's it's very inspiring to a Canadian kid to look at all the Canadian comedians that you know came before you and and when you're a kid, I mean, you just can't even, it's sort of like a, you know, it's sort of like gives you some sort of hope that you could actually make a living being a complete goof. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, without that hope, if there was no hope, then you would never even really try, right? Because there would be no hope. But with that hope, when you look at Dan Aykroyd or John Candy or Martin Short or Lorne Michaels, yeah, you know, who started SNL, of course, and we know all these all these great Canadian comedians. It really does kind of like uh, make you uh, want to sort of chase your dreams. Are you a are you a fate guy or a a it was meant to happen guy or a spiritual guy at all, or are you just it's it's luck and it could have happened to anybody? Do you have any of that? Uh, I always say there's a kind of a I have this sort of, I heard somebody say this once and I can't remember who it was, but it stuck with me. Uh, it's not something I came up with, but you know, if you look at a triangle and each point on the triangle had a major thing that you need in order to make it in show business. One is luck on one corner. One is <clears throat> talent on the other corner and another cor third corner, hard work. Okay. Yeah. And if you have two of those three things, you'll make it. If you have one, you're not going to do it. If you have three, you'll be fine. If you have two, you'll be fine. So if you have, if you have, if you have, if you work really hard and you have absolutely no talent at all, but you get lucky and you work hard, you'll make it. If you have a ton of talent yeah. and you work really hard, but you've got no luck, you'll make it. If you have a ton of talent and you have some luck, but you don't work hard at all, you'll still make it. But if you just have talent and you don't work hard and you don't get lucky, talent's not going to be enough. So I always said, you know, That's I always sort of err on the side of caution and said, you know, shit, you know, on the off chance that, you know, shit, maybe I'm not talented. I better work really hard because I can't control luck. So the only thing I can really control is hard work. So I always worked really, really hard and just hoped that maybe I was talented or maybe I got lucky. And uh, I got lucky, man. I got lucky. <laughs> Dude, that's a, that's, a, that's a fucking beautiful answer. And, and it, 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 no, it really is, man. I don't think you could have said it better. Um, I look at things like things that I dreamed of that I never thought 
you know, when I started, but I worked hard and I always wanted to be with the, like, so if I was a shitty open micer cause I was two years in, I wanted to be the, one of the top shitty two year open micers. I always yeah. wanted to, but the work and the doing the shitty rooms and doing the stage time all, and then having a guy like Jim Brewer or, um, uh, Bill Burr and these guys go, Hey man, you're funny work with me. And I was like, yeah, it was the work that you put in on top of obviously, like you said, being funny, but then to be able to have stand in Madison square garden and do some of the things and do a special in a theater that was beautiful. And I remember standing on like a, a Coca-Cola crate in a, in a shitty bar in, in Jersey with TVs on and people trying to eat and look around me. And I'm going, yeah, I, I used to knock doors years ago and they said, knock 10 more when you want to go home. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I would knock and then I'd get a sale. I was selling phone cable, internet, door to door in Queens and Manhattan. And I would yeah. be out there longer and then I would make the money. And, and it was like, it's kind of the same thing, but you're right. You do have to have the talent with that. Uh, That's with funny. I used to sell uh, vacuum cleaners door to door. No. Yeah, yeah. Kirby uh, vacuums. And uh, I, I did a lot of uh, sales jobs. Telemarketing was my thing. And uh, I don't know, I think it was just something about the fact that you were trying to talk somebody into something yeah. and using your kind of hopefully <laughs> clever sales ability to try to trick somebody into buying your product, whether it was a Kirby vacuum, which is a good vacuum, by the way. I, wasn't, that, I, I stand by that. Those good, I remember good Kirby. Yeah, yeah I good. Remember. Those, are good, those are good vacuums. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll sell you one, by the way. I'm selling them. On, I'm still selling them on my website. No, I'm not. But uh, but uh, I uh, I did do pretty well with Kirby, and um, and so yeah, it's it's a fun thing. You know, I I always had a hard time imagining myself having a job where I had to go to an office and sit and have a boss and 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 have to you know the telemarketing was an exception, but that you know you had a cubicle and you were on your own, and I basically made prank phone calls all day, so. Yes. I like sales. Sales is fun. I, it's kind of like doing stand-up. I was going to say, I think a lot of good salespeople um, get into stand-up and they could be successful because you are kind of selling yourself. And then as you get the jokes better and you learn how to write a, you know, a, a, just a good constructed joke, I think that that sales skill comes out in you. But I wanted to ask you this because you, I didn't know actually that you did stand-up that young in your teens. Um, so when you branched out into the show, when you decided to do the show, were you, cause your show really had nothing to do with <laughs> stand up. You were just the, you were the first guy to go, I'm going to do some lunacy, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to do some wild shit. I remember one of the funniest things I saw you do was when you went to somebody's door. I believe you were on a ship and you went to somebody's door with a fish sandwich. And it was a, it was a fucking fish between two slices of bread. And yeah. I'm thinking, were you doing stand-up going, hey, I got this idea for a show and I'm going to do this? Or, or were you just like, was it something that just evolved as you did the show as far as the craziness? You know, it was a combination of influences for sure. I mean, I was a huge David Letterman fan. Okay. And so David Letterman, of course, did stand-up and he did his monologue and he did stuff on the street. And, you know, back in the 80s when it was late night, um, you know, and he was on after Johnny Carson and it was, it was almost like a rumor, you know, because I was a kid, you know, you did, other kids at school in the seventh grade would say like, hey, there's this guy on 
late at night, you know, if you stay up, he's crazy. He does crazy stuff, you know? Yeah. And uh, that was the first time I really saw somebody not acting funny as an actor. Like I love Monty Python and I loved all, you know, the SCTV and, and Saturday Night Live and things like that. As a, although I was too young to really watch SNL because it was on too late. But I watched a lot of SCTV and a lot of Monty Python when I was a little kid. Um, but Dave was the first guy that I saw that was kind of like being himself and being real and being funny. It wasn't a script, you know. Yeah. That really kind of was exciting. And I, I, I wondered what he, how he did it. And I knew he did stand-up. And I you know, read a book about him. And uh, he was a stand-up comedian. The comedy store. I heard about all that stuff. And then I found out about the comedy club in Ottawa. And so that kind of led me to do stand-up. So... You know, I was sort of the same story. I didn't really like do stand up where I got to the point where I was doing stand up and then got picked up to do a TV show. I actually stopped doing stand up when I was about about 19 actually, 19 or 20 because I got a record deal with a rap group that I was in. So I went and did that for 2 <laughs> years in Canada. We had a big record. It was a like a hit record in Canada. You know, wow. YouTube, the videos on YouTube now, we were called Organized Rhyme. And we went to Toronto, we recorded this record, and we had videos on Much Music. We had a number one hit on the dance charts, and people wow. knew us. And it was like show business. It was like Canadian show business. You know, we didn't make any money, yeah. by the way, because we didn't recoup our costs of the record and stuff. <laughs> but we were known, and we were on the radio, and it was exciting. And... um when that sort of wound down after a couple of years, I, uh, I had been on television a lot for the rap group, you know, on much music, hosting shows as, as this rap group from Ottawa, as this goofy rap, rap group from Ottawa. I was 19. My buddy was like 17. We'd been doing it for a few years, too. So we did it throughout high school while I was doing the stand-up. But anyways, uh, it, kind of, um, it kind of led me to want to really just try to do the television and I went back I studied broadcasting in college and then I started the show on public access and it was always rooted in stand-up and sort of David Letterman and skateboarding culture too because I liked skateboarding videos which were kind of raw gorilla yeah. type even more gorilla than Letterman right it was like handheld video camera stuff so it was all those things combined together and then I just kind of really focused on that show. We got the public access show. And I just basically for the next five or six years, it was all I did every day was shot videos and, sh and edited them and put them on the station. And uh, eventually we kind of just kept kind of making progress. More people were talking about it. It got a cult following and then MTV picked it up. So it was sort of a, a dream come true. So it wasn't really until uh, a, a few years later after the show went off the air on MTV that I started doing stand-up again and really started really focusing on stand-up as, as a touring comedian, you know? Well, two things there. One, it's amazing that MTV, it's like, seems like the perfect fit. You were doing the music, you were doing the show, like all the skateboarding culture. And that's a perfect fit. It seems like at the time when MTV um, picked you up and then you, you going back to stand-up is that's a, a lot of people could have or would have said, Hey, I got money now, right? And I, I got the show and I got those things. And you were like, I, I'm, I love stand-up. Like you went back to the art and the roots of it all, which I think is amazing and probably not easy after being away for that many years. Yeah. And I also wanted to make more money. 
<laughs> right and a lot of money to uh, and a lot of money no you know listen i'm just kidding i mean look it is nice to have something to do it is nice to make money uh it is nice to feel like you are following your craft and your dream uh you know when the tom green show ended on mtv after i got sick i stopped the show i did some films there was a you know, a period of time there where I just kind of really got excited about the internet, actually. And I devoted probably a good six years of my life into building this internet TV show in my house here back in the early 2000s, 2003 till around 2010, actually. And uh, I was just so focused on that. But uh, it was during that period of time where I realized, you know, it was too early for the internet. There was no business model for that. Um, advertisers weren't buying advertising on, there was podcasting wasn't even, a, there wasn't even a word podcasting yet. I remember when that word started floating around, I'm like, what's that? Oh, that's just audio. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, we're doing audio and video for like you know, five years at this point. That's you know, great. We'll, we'll just audio. And then you started to hear, oh, well, people are listening on their phones. This was all this new thing. And I'd be like, okay, that's cool. The advertising industry hadn't really caught up to it yet. Uh, but I've been interviewing other comedians here in LA in my living room for like, you know, seven years at this point, you know? And, um, <laughs> but all basically out of the goodness of my heart, you know, it was like, you know, we weren't making money doing it a little bit here and there. We had a sponsor here and there, but there was no big, and we were getting millions of views too. It was like a big, big thing. Cause there was no other shows. Like, you know, the internet's full of stuff now. There's so every, everyone's doing podcasts and everyone's got an Instagram page and then, so it's so fragmented, but back then we were the only show that you could watch live and call in on Skype and see yourself. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I actually just put up a clip of about a month ago of Joe Rogan when he came up to the show and we ended up in this conversation because he was doing some crazy shit on his website back then. And we ended up in this conversation about it. And you know, Joe was like, could not have been cooler, man. I couldn't even believe how, how, nice he was about this on his podcast i mean i know he's a nice guy but he just really gave me a huge compliment and uh and, and kudos for uh for uh for that and uh talked a lot about how how i was doing that in early days and, and i thought that was pretty awesome you know so so it was really cool you know it was fun it, it kind of i just had a great time over at rogan's podcast which is incredible and it's opened up this whole new whole new group of people too for me that you know may not have been following along with what i've been doing so it's exciting but but what happened was i was doing that show back then and it was frustrating because like you know i i knew that it made sense that this thing could take off like i knew that like hey like why would you watch you know what what what's what the only thing different between television and this is this is like raw and we don't have as much money to make it, but it's also crazier than anything on TV. And I knew that in my head, I thought, or realer, or more honest, or less filtered, or whatever you want to call it. And I knew, like, in my head, I thought, like, if I was, you know, watching this, I'd rather watch this than something that's all overproduced. And there's got to be a lot of people like me out there. Yeah. And it was very frustrating that it wasn't sort of like uh, that the advertising agencies and the agencies and the business hadn't really caught up to it. So I, I was getting all sorts of people all around the world who were like watching and saying, hey, come come perform in, 
you know, Australia. And I'm going like, shit, I should probably just start doing stand up again and, and take the show on the road. And, uh, you know, it was immediately the best decision I've ever made in my adult life. I mean, this was probably about 11 years ago. I went down to the comedy store one night. I had about, you know, five minutes of stories and jokes and material that I kind of crafted together. And, and, uh, and, and I got up in the main room there and I just had a great time. And it was just like that energy of, of a crowd was something that I really missed. And you don't get that when you're sitting in your living room, right? You had, you know, it's not the same, you know, it's great podcasting and I love it. And I'm, and, and it's a different skill. It's more like a broadcasting skill, but you don't get that adrenaline rush of a crowd. And so I just kind of just dove right into it head first. And I've been on, I've been, I've been on the road nonstop for the last 10 or 11 years going all around the country and performed every, every club in the country and made so many great friends all around the country. And I love it. So it's, it's, it's really been a good thing. No, that's, it's so cool to, to like, when I saw you at the stand and I'm like, that's so awesome that like, I have a buddy who does, uh, I have a buddy who's on um, Impractical Jokers, Sal. I don't know if you know Sal, you know Sal Vicano? I've met him before very briefly, but yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, and amazing. I, yeah, and I told Sal, I go, you know, you're gonna, you're doing stand-up. I go, you're gonna live this show twice because when it's over, you're gonna, you're gonna go on stage and have those fans come out, but you're also doing stand-up too, and he loves doing both, and stand-up is a big love of his, and uh, no, I love what those guys do too, but what you did is kind of, and I don't want to make you embarrassed or, you know, try to, you know, uh, blow, blow smoke, but you did something incredible because the shit that, that Sasha Baron Cohen did uh, with, with Borat, and, and, you know, jackass and all that. You, like, you were the first guy to, like, probably get your ass kicked by a stranger because of what you were doing. And uh, it's pretty nuts that, like, when I look back at that and you see how successful Borat, how hilarious it was, which it was. I mean, it made me cry laughing. But um, you did it without anything other than your show that was on public access. And I think it's crazy. And here's the other thing. You also didn't have... Um, hate the way like people now on social media so when you did something it was just about who was tuning in right ratings instead of like you know because my special came out and you see what everybody's saying or you if a joke comes out you see that you you go you do an episode right you do all this crazy shit it's hilarious but now you just got to wait and see if you get picked up again and what those ratings are going to be but you were like I remember people chasing you and I remember people really getting angry at you. And then years later, I saw, not to take anything away from, from Borat or Jackass or anything like that or any prank shows, but you, you were the guy that was literally making people go, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Get away from me. Or like, and, and it's, it's pretty insane, man. It's really, it's really like a trailblazer. I always loved it when I saw things go wrong on television. <laughs> You know, like when you could tell like it wasn't supposed to happen and somebody got angry and it happened on Letterman a lot in the early days in the studio, you know, Madonna would call him an asshole or, yeah. or Crispin Glover would try to kick him or Andy Kaufman would get, you know, thrown on the ground but, or, or, you know, a, you know a, a Harvey Picar would come on and annoy Letterman to the point that he like kicked him off the show and and I, and I just always loved it because it just seemed so real. And, and, and I always wanted to try to, you know, replicate that. I also loved candid camera growing up. I love real people. 
Yeah. You know, and that show had been on forever, but I just loved seeing real people get confused and reacting. I loved skateboarding videos, which were raw and real and out on the street and gritty. And um, so, like, I kind of, like, tried to, you know, and then the, what happened was I just happened to be, like, a real techie kind of geek, right? Like, I mean, I mean, just to kind of put in perspective, this is, this is my, my little studio I'm in right now here, right? So here's my drum machine, Jeez. right? Here's my, I just did a, my podcast with Tom Segura, uh, just moments before he called. I'm editing it right now. Uh, here's my switcher, my keyboards. I've got my lights. And this is where I'm going to do my, where I do my podcast and bringing cameras in. But I'm sitting here in a quarantine right now. Yeah. Building this by myself, the way you're building your studio by yourself. But I had this little recording studio back when I was a kid because I was in that rap group. And I, I kind of realized pretty early, I, got, I guess I got lucky and I figured this out, that I would work those jobs in the telemarketing jobs. And I'd save up money and I would buy a drum machine or a sampler back in 1988, right? Because yeah. I, I heard rap, I heard the Beastie Boys and Run DMC. And I was like, how are they making that music sound like that? And then I'd you know, read about a sampler. What's a sampler? Or they sample around. What's a drum machine? Oh, it's electronic music. What? What's electronic music? And so I, I, for whatever reason, just stumbled on that and I just decided to do it. You know, I just decided I'm going to do it. So I get like a, I got a cheap keyboard. I got a drum machine. I put this little studio mini version of, this would have been the dream back then. Yeah. Wouldn't have been technically possible, but you know, I got a mini version of this and for whatever reason, but I think part of it is, is I was the only person doing that in, in my hometown in Ottawa you know, like in 1988, I was the old, one of maybe very few people in Canada, maybe a handful of people in Canada who are sampling records and looping them. And so when you're the only person doing something, yeah. you're like the best at it, right? You're yeah. the best. You're yep. the only person doing it, but you're the best because you're the only person doing it. But so when people start talking about, you know, oh, what's this? rap music they go well there's a guy that makes rap music over there and then and, and and you'd be kind of in 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 this sort of at the forefront of something so i started being very kind of tuned into technology and how i could apply creative stuff to it and so when video cameras came out you know it was sort of like the same thing video camera editing how do you edit video how do you do that yourself you know yeah. and uh and 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 so that was always my mindset and so I kind of keep doing that over and over again. I kind of try to do things when they're very much on the cusp. And, uh, you know, what ends up happening is technology catches up, society catches up. You know, the show fortunately became a big hit on MTV. A lot of people saw that. Not just the other people that have done shows like that afterwards, but all the other networks saw it. All the other executives at all the other networks saw it. And they said, oh, look, that worked. Yeah, that worked. Yeah. And so, well, we want to show like that. We want to show like that. We want to show like that. So it's cool. And it's kind of exciting thing. You know, I, I, um, I, uh, people, you know, I feel like I've gotten like a, a great amount of, of, of credit for it. I've done very well in my life. Uh, uh, and, and when I tour the country, people say this to me all the time. I appreciate you saying it. I, and I'm not, and I thank you for saying it, but I mean, it's like, when I do my stand-up shows, there's a whole a whole generation of people that their first memory of seeing something crazy go down on TV was my show. And that makes me really proud, you know. And it also it makes it makes it 
a fun experience when I tour and do stand-up and uh, I'm getting new fans for my stand-up, but I'm getting all these people coming out that, that are just kind of have these, these memories of seeing something for the first time. And I remember when I saw shit for the first time when I was a kid, like, I never forgot that, you know? Yeah. Like, when I saw Tony Hawk, you yeah, know, I love Tony. Uh, I love the Bones Tony. Brigade, yeah. skateboarding, when I was, you know, 13 years old and he was probably 15 years old, you know? Yeah. yeah. I saw that. I never forgot that. And it's still just as exciting to me today as it was then. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing to, to have, you know, gotten lucky, been in the right place at the right time, worked hard, all of those things, um, uh, to, uh, to have gotten the opportunity to have been on MTV. Like MTV could have not picked up my show. Somebody else would have come along and done something similar. I will say it might not have been quite as weird. You know, my show was very weird. It wasn't just about the video cameras. Jackass is, is got a lot of similarities, and Sasha, Bora, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's got similarities. But honestly, there was stuff that happened on, on the Tom Green show that was even weirder than that. You know, it was so weird that, like, you know, it's not even on the internet anymore because I, I took it down. Okay? Because it was just like, it was a surreal, strange. I always like, I like taking things to very sort of almost like musical, strange, almost like performance arty type places where it wasn't even really funny. You know what I mean? It was just like, you're watching going like, you're like what, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know? And so that might've been something that was a little bit sort of unique yeah. about the Tom Green show compared to some of the other things that came after it. Yeah. Because if somebody's going, this guy is funny, but he's out of his fucking mind, which yeah. you gotta watch the next, we're all, we all have that, but you said something before, which went back to your triangle thing, and it was you were making, you know, sound bites and doing things with the drum stuff, things that nobody was doing. I really do think it's how many friends have you had in your life going like, uh, one day I'm going to get around to that, or I'm going to do that, or you know what, we got this great idea for this story. And then yeah. I, think, I think the successful ones are the ones that go, hey, man, remember that thing we were going to write? Why don't you come over and write? That's why I built this, um, this studio. Like, my, we were going through the quarantine. I don't know if uh, you, I, I, we haven't spoke before this, but my, my wife and I were pretty much, um, without getting too much into it, my wife and I pretty much had, were told we have COVID-19. Uh, we, we basically, we, um, we did not test positive. I had symptoms and um, I was like, ah, oh, this could be a cold. And then I 100%, I've said it on, on podcast before, so I'll do it quickly. I 100% lost my smell and taste without being congested. Like I couldn't smell or taste anything. And it was after having symptoms for a few days. Uh, five days later, my wife completely lost her smell and taste. So, wow. so my doctor was like, that is completely consistent with COVID. You guys probably yeah. have a, a mild form of it, which is basically lodging in the nasal canal, which then takes away your smell and taste. Isolate. You know, I wasn't having any breathing problem. This is when the first outbreak, this is when it's like, if you don't have 102 fever and you can breathe okay, stay the fuck. Like, we don't want to talk to you. So my wife and I just waited, smell came back about nine, 10 days, hers came back. And we kind of felt like if this is what we think it is, we're going to go for the antibody test, but, and we're over it. Like, I'm going to do shit. I'm going to make a studio. I'm going to, you know, do things with my friends. I'm going to podcast. I'm going to, you know, work on my stand up for when this thing come, we come out of this thing. But 
a lot of guys don't do what you were doing, where they were just like, I'm going to be the guy doing this. And then when the opportunity strikes, you have, you have something because you actually did it. Laziness, I've noticed this too, uh, Tom, and, and tell me if you, you agree or not. I feel like a lot of really creative, brilliant people have this lazy thing about them where they're, like you said, I think Frank Sinatra said something too. It's like, yeah, you can be talented, but if like you're going to lay on the couch and think the phone's going to ring, it, it's, it's not. <laughs> you know yeah yeah so that's the thing so that's where the hard work comes in it's a good way to hedge your bets you know if you if because yeah. if, you can control that like i said so um you know you have to really want it uh more than you want to sit on the couch more than you want to you know do the things that you do when you're wasting time and uh, and I think it's important also, I think it's important to believe in yourself. Uh, even if it seems impossible, if you really believe in yourself, yes. uh, then, then you're able to find the motivation to work hard because you believe that it's possible, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's good to have mentors and people around you that encourage you. you know, like I said, when I was young at Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, uh, Howard Wagman would encourage me, who's still the, the owner of the club there, great little club in the basement of, a, uh, you know, on Elgin Street in Ottawa. Um, and uh, Mark Breslin, who, start, who, you know, started the whole franchise when I was, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old, maybe. I remember he, I was performing and he came from Toronto and he saw me perform and he sort of took me aside after the show. and brought me backstage and, you know, to the office and sat, we sat down in the office and I'd never even been back there in the office before, you know, it was like, this was a big deal. Mark Breslin was taking, and, and he gave me this encouraging talk and said, you know, you're doing something a little different there. I kind of like what you're, you're doing and keep at this. Don't quit. Keep at it. You got a little something there. Yeah. And that, that stuck with me for yeah. the next you know, I guess it was probably another 11 years before I got picked up by MTV with a lot of ups and downs. But, you know, there were people like that moment and other moments along the way where somebody that I respected, who I, who, who I knew, knew what they were talking about, came in and gave me a little encouragement. And that, like, is important because then you believe in yourself. If you don't have that, you don't believe in yourself, then you're just going to go, well, why should I get off the couch? I mean, it's never going to happen for me anyways. No, and so, so it's, I think it's important that artists and comedians and creators all support each other and encourage each other because uh, then collectively, like, we all move forward. You know, the art form moves forward. It comes back to you in the long run. You know, like it, it does come back to you. If you encourage, it's so funny, like, the amount of people I've met over the last 20 years who are, like, sort of uh, some kid or whatever who I meet and then all of a sudden it's like boom you know <laughs> the biggest star in the world you know yeah and a few, few years later I don't I don't name them or whatever but but it's happened a lot you know yeah and you and you realize man it's interesting you know like I remember just three years ago this person was yeah just like just just sort of doing open mics or we're just performing in the club small club opening for me I've had a lot of comedians who performed opening for me over the last 10 years, just over the last 10 years have blown up into big shows and you go like, wow, man, that's pretty cool. And so I always feel good that I've 
you know, always try to encourage people and stuff because, uh, you know, uh, it, it just, it just all becomes this big, you know, big sort of, sort of pot of comedy that flows around. And then, you know, they come back on my podcast and they're big stars now. And, you know, but yeah. it's just a cool thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Things that you never thought can yeah happen. Just it's, it's really amazing. Like I was, what you said is so true. I was reading Ronnie Dangerfield's book and Rodney's book, you know, it talks about how Jim Carrey would open for him and Jim Carrey would be, you know, basically bombing on like a, it was, he went through this uh, span of bombing on a nightly basis and it was really hard for him. But in the back of the room, he heard Rodney laughing and, and Rodney laughing like built him up. And I'll tell you a really cool story. Not many people know this, but uh, you're inspiring. It's an inspiring thing that you're saying. Um, I opened for Burr for many years, uh, you know, five, six years on and off. Uh, he had some West Coast people, but we were very close. And um, he took me under his wing. And one night we were, I think, in Texas. And he just was like, dude, he goes, you know, you were always funny building up. But what I'm watching you do now is a special. And while after he said that, everything else he said, I didn't pay attention to. I just wanted to call my wife. I just yeah. wanted to call my wife and I just wanted to be like, wow, one of the best guys who also has been doing this for 25, like however long he's been doing it longer than me. And he was another guy that like the industry didn't say yes right away. Yeah. Uh, it was just a harder thing. And, and it just, when you get that, you're like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden you do something and people are like, you are funny. And you're like, I always knew it. I believed it. But to get that. And, um, and I also went through some, I, do you, I don't know. Do you go through, do you have, cause I have not mental illness, but I've had some depression and I've had some, Oh, I have OCD extremely bad. I have anxiety. I have depression and going through that and getting through all of that also made me go like, what, what do I have to lose? I want to do that. What do I have to lose? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a it's a long haul to get from, you know, starting out to, the mountaintop in this business and it can be definitely you know very discouraging at times and uh you know i've had my ups and downs and i've definitely gotten down uh you know in the dumps over the years especially after i had cancer and things like that you know it was just kind of uh, physically difficult and and when you have people come encourage you like that and it's funny that you say that about bill and that's 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 what the amazing thing about bill burr is he's like a guy like that who is he did that to me when I started doing stand up again. Uh, you know, when I started doing stand up, like I said, it was like maybe this was like 10 years ago. I'd probably been doing stand up for about six months or something like that. And uh, I had a, sh a show at uh, Just for Laughs. It was doing a one, one night show at Just for Laughs. And uh, Bill had, uh, I think Bill had probably come on my web show at that point and maybe i had gone on an early version of his podcast we had, we knew each other a little bit but he came to my show and after the show he came up to me and just like what he did to you said he, there was a particular bit that i did that he just loved and he just really told me how much he loved this bit and uh you know that that really was an encouraging thing you know because here is here's the you know, one of the greatest stand-up comedians living on the planet today, and here I am, I'm just starting out again. He's, he's giving me all this these kind words. So it was, uh, it's important to be, to do that and to do that to other people. You also feel better, you know, like like about yourself when you encourage other people. Like the the, the comedy business can be very competitive, and I think when people are young, 
they're they're maybe not uh and, and when i say like when when you know when you're when you're young and you're getting started out and you're overwhelmed sometimes you can be competitive to the point where it's unhealthy you know yeah and uh you know you see somebody who's doing better than you and like you're jealous and it makes you feel bad about yourself yeah and then maybe you aren't as nice of a person as you could be and you you learn over time that uh that just like burns you in the end you know like that just yes just blows up that takes your energy down it makes you carry around all this negativity which then makes you not funny right because then you're an angry guy yeah and you're not funny and nobody you know that's the thing about doing comedy like it's better when you're funny right right but when you're a comedian it's probably better to be funny <laughs> than than to be an angry guy right you, know, you can't yeah. fake it you yeah can't get, you can't be like angry and stuff angry that these guys are doing better than you and you're pissed off all day and then oh time to go on stage i'm gonna be a funny guy now no you're you're gonna the, the anger and the the negativity and the negative energy is going to bleed through so so i just like tell everybody you know to just be fucking nice to each other you know we're going through a pandemic right now it's comedy is closed we don't know when it's going to open up again i'm talking to all these people on my podcast you know uh yeah. now i'm talking to you on your podcast you know uh you know i'm excited to be working with rory who who you know you yeah, work yeah. with and, uh, yeah. and it's, it's bringing brought us together and, and and that's it's cool you know it's like it's all one comedy family and everybody's just got to support each other especially now and i i think that uh it just makes everybody funnier you know there's room for everybody if you're funny if you're funny there's room for everybody if, if you're I, angry there's not you know so yeah no i agree and i i would see and i think it is human nature tom to see somebody because when I was younger, I remember when I was younger and like my first or second manager, I'd see somebody do the Tonight Show or I'd see somebody do stuff. And I go, well, I have family jokes like that. Why can't we? And it's like and then as I got older and common and I was never bitter. I was always treated people nice and I always treated people the way I want to be treated. And that's how I'm raising my son and daughter. You're going to treat people the way that you want to be treated. But you would have that not jealousy, but like I want that because I'm working hard. And, and then all of a sudden I got better number one because when you really get better sometimes you're not good enough for something that you want and you're frustrated but then when i got to a point where it's like i'm just gonna have blinders on and run my race and then all of a sudden things did start to happen when i realized because that guy's success or that woman's success has nothing to do listen good for them they have families and they're working hard too and that's not me so good for them and as long as they're you know doing their thing and I'm doing my thing, we're all gonna eventually get to where we go. And it goes back, that's why the thing you said about the triangle is the, is the, is the theme of this podcast because it, if I'm working hard, and let's hopefully after all these years I do have some talent and I'm working hard and luck comes in somewhere, then I'm fine. But I, I definitely would get the, to the point sometimes, Tom, where I would go younger. I would be like, I got to get this. I got to get this. Well, that person, how, what do I need to do? Even now, like today, people are like, well, you got to get on that podcast or you know what? You got to get in front of that booker. And it's like, no, just get really good. Just get undeniably good. And that's how I got the Montreal Comedy Festival. I wanted to do it. And they said no to me like two or three times. And then finally, they were like, oh, you're ready. You deserve it. And I went up there and I got it. And it was like, oh, okay. So that's how this works. Work really hard. Be funny. 
don't be angry and be happy for people. And now I also like helping young comics. Like if there's a young comic that I think is funny in the club and they're like, hey man, I'd love to feature for you when you headline, you know, the improv in Raleigh. I'm like, I want, yeah, like I want to, and give them the encouragement that I got. So I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent, man. This is a marathon and, and, and it's not a sprint. And I've been in it for a long time and I've took me 15, 16 years, Tom, to have anybody actually start to go, oh, wow, he's funny, and then get the special, and then things to start happening, and, you know, and it's like, you're going to get things when it's time to get it. Burr would say that, too, like, you're going to get things when it's time, you know, it's just, just stick with it, and, and never get angry, and, um, yeah, the depression I went through in 2016, which was the worst time of, you know, you had mentioned being sick, and, you know, I'm sure in the future we'll sit and we'll talk, but, I mean, 90 days, I was in the darkest hole ever. And then a year later, I did the special for Comedy Central, and I was stronger mentally than I've ever been. And um, hypochondriac, OCD, all that stuff. My mother actually had, um, my mother had stage four cancer in 1997, and mm -hmm. she was on her way out. And the Dana-Farber Institute in Boston, right before my mother's last, like, relapse, when she was, like, it was spreading, the Dana-Farber Institute in Boston did a trial drug for people with leukemia and they were working on it for my mom who didn't have leukemia. She had a something else, a gastrointestinal thing, something very rare. And out of a yeah. hundred, hundred people who tried it, it started to work on 26 of them. And my mother was one of the 26. And then out of the 26, it started to come back and get some of the people that were in the trial and um, 10 of them are okay. And now, 20 something years later, the cancer is like dead inside of my, and she just takes these six pills the rest of her life. But you know, it saved my mom's life. And I think that's why I'm a hypochondriac today. And I know, I mean, I don't know what you went through. I know what my mind has put me through in depressions with health stuff, but I could only imagine what you went through. And then you came out stronger, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm glad your mom's doing well. well thank um, you. Yeah, that's, uh, I know how scary cancer is, having gone through it myself, and, and people in my family have had cancer, and, and it's not fun. Um, but, uh, you know, you can learn a lesson from having cancer and, and from having cancer in your life, and it is that, you know, life is a fragile thing, and we are kind of uh, fortunate and lucky to be here every day. And so being a hypochondriac or paranoid is not necessarily a bad thing, right? That's, a, that's something that I actually consider to be sort of a nice self-protection, self-preservation mechanism that's built into us as, as, as human beings, as human animals, right? You know, oh, I could get cancer and die. Maybe I'll stop smoking, right? You know, maybe because I don't want to get cancer. Maybe I'll stop smoking. Oh, uh, there's a virus out there maybe I'm not going to go out and uh, risk that. And I haven't left my house. I'm yeah. telling you right now, I haven't left in six weeks other than just three to four days ago, I left to go uh, do uh, the Joe Rogan podcast where I got a test. They tested me for the, the, the COVID-19 test and uh, antibody test. And I came up negative, which depending on who you ask, I mean, you almost want to be in your situation where you uh, have some antibodies in you, but, uh, but you know, I went, I did it, and I came back, and I'm, 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 I, am I paranoid, or am I just being careful, or am I realistic? Because I know, like, you know, it's all about, you know, really the luck of the draw. Were you having symptoms? 
No, no, I, I haven't left the house in six weeks, so I don't think I, I don't think it's possible that I could have it. So, so okay, so you just you got a test based on your history. Oh well, Joe's testing everybody that does the show right now. So okay, yeah. they have a nurse come and they test everyone. I think it's just to keep their whole building. No, that's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually sure. I'm not actually sure the full reason they're doing it, but uh, but it's interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah. Did the test hurt or no? No, it's pricked your finger, took a little blood, put it in a little thing, and waited for a thing to change. It wasn't the up-the-nose one. Oh, they didn't show? Okay. Yeah, All right. It was uh -huh. the, yeah, the antibody test, so yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you're doing good, dude, and I'm glad we got to hang, and, and I, you're somebody that I can't wait to see uh, in the clubs, whether it's, uh, I was just out in California, I did the, um, I did the main room at the comedy store, and then I was over at the Laugh Factory literally like two weeks before, uh, two weeks before all this stuff went down. And I know that I met you at the stand, but I do do one thing on the show uh, that actually, you know what? No, I'm going to, we're going to talk about that after. So never mind. Scratch that. Scratch all right. that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what happened? Did I lose you? Uh, oh, wait, I, somebody's calling me. I'll be just pause that. Um, okay. One second. Yeah. Okay. There we, I'm back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. No worries. So um, yeah, first of all, Thank you so much for doing the Verzi Effect, talking to you about all the stuff that you did. And I love the, the name of this episode is The Triangle, for sure. Nice. Um, and you know what? Before I forget, that popped into my head in the middle of the show, I think it might have been Larry King that told me that. I think. Don't, you know, okay. I'm not 100% sure, but I, because uh, I interviewed him once and I got to guest host for his show last year, a bunch of episodes. And. I believe that might have been him who told me that. So I'm going to credit that to him. Even if I'm wrong, he still deserves credit for that. But I believe it was him that said I that. Was, yeah. I was just going to say, that's how I know you're a nice guy. Because you could not, you had to go multiple times making sure that I didn't think that you were saying that it was you who came up with that. Uh, yeah, that, I, don't, I don't, I don't, you know, it's like, it's like the equivalent of like stealing a joke or something like I that, know. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, dude, this is uh, this has been TVE four forty five. I hope to see you again. Um, hang on one second after, but uh, thank you so much for doing it, man. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Paul. Congrats on the podcast. The new studio looks great. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, buddy.